I want to make this brief. We've been dealing with different elements of what has come upon the earth. And last Sunday I said it's time to get out, but how are we going to get out? And what are we really getting out of? And we led up to the fact that it's not just being confined in a home or in a shelter or restricted and etc. It's more about coming out of ourselves and who we were and who we are. Interesting, as I look back, it seems like it was almost another complete year or two ago as we entered into this new year, and I read again about the place of next that God had shown me and we had talked about, and January 6th, I shared with you that the Lord showed me that it wasn't just us, but the whole world and was entering into a place of next. I had no idea. No idea. And he said there was provision that was stored up for us in the place of next. And so I said, Lord, even for myself, I don't want to be someone who can't see the provision, that doesn't understand what it is that you're asking me to do, or what is different, or how should I come out, and let alone how could I even share with anybody else if I don't understand myself vividly. And so, last week the Lord said, to prepare, he said, we want to pray for an inner strength, to strengthen the inner man, that we might find out better who we are in Christ, and not only that, but do a little weeding and feeding, get rid of those things that keep us from the love of God and keep us from the move of Christ, and in the same way, that we would allow ourselves to grow in him and to strengthen the inner man so that we are those that are able to come out with a renewed strength, but a new strength. You see, how many of you have a choice between a retread tire and a new tire? Which tire do you want? You want the new tire. Because retread means what it just said. There's a tread been put on top of a tread. And I don't know about you, but I remember when I got my first set of tires on an old clunker that I paid too much for back in that day, $75. And it needed tires. And so I went and this guy said to me, well, you can't afford these new tires. I'll sell you this four set of retreads that are right here. Well, they lasted me about four weeks. And I thought to myself, I'm not going to buy retreads anymore because then I have to get another retread and then another retread. And we don't want to renew our strength like retreads. We want to be made new. And that's what the Lord's crying out to the body of Christ. This is a time not to reset. I know a lot of people have said reset. Well, I know those of you who keep me in line a lot of times when I'm preaching and my wife especially, she'll start doing this, which means reset, reset, get back. No, I don't want to reset. We want to become new. We want to be brand new in the things of God. Why? Because that's what he promises. All things are new. And the things of tomorrow have passed away. And the things of today are new. And the promises for the next month and the next year are brand new. Because the old stuff doesn't cling very well with the new stuff. Just like a retread. It only lasts so long and and then it's useless, and it doesn't have the vitality that we need. And so what I saw was the Lord saying very clearly that his prayer is through this shakeup to the body of Christ, to believers, and of course to those who are unbelievers that they're crying out and saying, where's the truth in this? Where's, where's some fact in this? What is positive in this? And so, yes, it leads some to cry out for God, and God is merciful, and he answers right away. And I'm loving some of the things I'm hearing, how people are coming to Christ, but I'm also praying, will they stay in Christ? And then my next prayer is, what about believers? Because, you see, one of the hardest things to be changed are those of us who think we don't need to be changed. 
It's hard to change somebody that doesn't know they need changed. It's hard to see or speak to somebody about the things of God changing them if the only message they receive and want to believe is that I'm walking in the grace of God and because of that it doesn't matter if I don't stay between the lines. I could step out a little bit because after all, I'm, I'm in grace. Well, I love grace. I need grace. Thank God for His grace. Sometimes... I have to say, Lord, I don't know if your grace is sufficient for me. I think I need something more. Help me. But it is. But we can become insufficient for grace. We can keep going out between the lines. We were talking about what happened after Christ was ready to ascend into heaven and then he did ascend into heaven. I wrote down these facts, hard facts of Scripture, that sort of enlighten us a little bit about comfort Christianity. I was in a different place. It was very early Saturday morning. And one of the things I said, consider these hard facts of Scripture and see how we relate. What is the face of Christianity to me? What is it to you? When somebody says, what are you? And you say, I'm a Christian. What vision do you have? And what vision do you think they have? When you say the word Christianity, what, what do you see? Or what don't you see? Now, you could be hyper-spiritual to me and say, I see Jesus, but you know you're lying to me. Every time someone calls you a Christian, you don't say, oh, I see Jesus. Or every time you use the word Christianity, you don't say, oh, I see Jesus. You see something, but what is it? Isn't it interesting that we live in a time in a society where everything gets branded? Huh? Your clothes, your food, your cars, your underwear, everything gets branded. Right? I mean, the only Tommy John I knew before it hit the, the news, the, the, the media cycles was some dude down in West Virginia I used to play football with, Tommy John. Now it's an underwear. It's a branding. I can't even think of him anymore. I see underwear when I hear Tommy John. Huh? So do you. Because they do such a good job of branding it. But what do we brand? And I know Ron Smith's here. He's an expert at branding. This should be his sermon, not mine. What do we see? What, what do we do? What do we promote? Well, let's, let's think of these hard facts of Scripture about what some people see when they refer to Christianity and Christians. Well, do they see that Christians and Christianity hang out in four-star and five-star luxury hotels? Last I knew, Jesus wasn't born in a four-star, five-star hotel. Let alone did he get free breakfast and have a swimming pool and a jacuzzi and fluffy pillows. Or how about a pastor or people, especially on television, big rings, rings that they light hits in it. Looks like a, a headlight, and it just dazzles your eyes. And right away, you who are a Christian and they who aren't, they say, I wonder if that's a real diamond or cut glass. What's the right answer? If it was cut glass, is that better than a real diamond, or is a real diamond on the hand of a pastor asking for money? Something different. Last I knew John who prepared the way for his cousin Jesus, he didn't have a wardrobe of silk-lined suits, starch shirts, ties, neckties. What a useless thing a necktie is. <laughs> totally useless. I mean, I admit once in a while I have to put one on because I'm going to a place where 
I want to show respect, but I don't like it. <laughs> I remember once, I have to, my wife will reset me if I need to. I was teaching in a Bible college down in Miami, and it was a really good Bible college. And, and uh, I was honored because Pastor Delgado said, uh, son, I'd, I'd like you to teach the honors classes. And, you know, those who are graduated and just graduating. And, and uh, he said, pick what do you want to teach. I said, I want to teach the book of Hebrews. But I want to teach it my way with my syllabus. He said, you got it. But something happened in the midst of that year when I was taking them through. They, there was a change of the superintendent of the Bible college. And the lady that was there was a tremendous prophetic, just well-grounded woman. I mean, she was just top-notch. And she was like a mother, the mother of the church. And there was a little scuffle, and she got put out, and they went out and brought in this new, shining young guy who had no affinity with the church whatsoever, and he just wanted to change everything. And for some reason, he thought he was going to change me. We were like two bucks fighting over this... <laughs> <laughs> Boom. And he would work on me and work on me and work on me. And I'd say, yes, yes. And then I wouldn't do it. And then he'd tell me, you need to do this and you need to do that. And you need to dress like this. That's the one that finally got me. He said, you need to come in here with a suit and tie on. I said, really? My students are in blue jeans. Yes. You must show excellence unto God. I said, oh, you got to pull a religious card on me. Okay. So I went back to my closet, and that Wednesday night I was getting dressed to go about 5 o'clock, and my wife said, you look ridiculous. I said, yes. And I had on some plaid pants I found. I don't know how they were still there. I had to safety pin them together. They were from a long time ago. And I found on a contrasting shirt where the color absolutely contrasted with it. And I found some suspenders. And I made sure that the pants were short up to here. And I found some two different tennis shoes, one color this color and one color that color. And I put on a tie. And I went to teach. And when I walked in, my students stood up and gave me a standing ovation. And I said, I've come to respect you. And this man was walking by the classes and looking in. And he did a double take on me and looked at me. And his face turned ashen. And he went running down the hallway. And the next morning, I got a call from Pastor Delgado. Son, can you come in and talk to me? I said, do you want me to dress just like I did last night? No. <laughs> and I came in, he said, why did you do that? I said, because the man's an idiot. And I said, I'm not blind, so I can't follow the blind. Why did you put him there? And he looked at me and he says, you're not the first one who asked me that. I said, you asked me to teach? I come to serve. That man, I cannot follow. Blind leading the blind. And so today, we have exalted the necktie. We have exalted it to a place that good ones, and people know which is a good one, a really expensive one, they cost more than somebody's entire clothes that they're wearing at one time. And so, when people look upon it and they see that glitzy ring, the expensive bow tie, silk suits, what is the face of Christianity? What is it? Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think everybody should be walking around dressed like John with burlap and their underwear hanging out. And however he dressed, he was a very difficult guy, they say, somewhat unkept. Knots in his hair, eating berries and bugs and bees and all kind of stuff. He was, I'm not saying we should go to that, but what is the face of Christianity? Are we really prepared to be the face of Christ? What do people see? And what do we see? 
And why do we keep seeing it? Why do we perpetuate it? Why do we feed into it? Why do we just become comfortable with the things that aren't comfortable? Wasn't it interesting and somewhat refreshing that Christ himself, the face of Christianity, he always found a way to go to the least of the least. He liked to be associated with the ones that everybody looked at and said, they're misfits, they don't belong. They don't dress like us. They don't have money. They shouldn't be here. They don't have a position. And Christ would always say, how much are you willing to give up for me? Are you willing to die to yourself? He had quite a calculus when it came down to estimate what we should be willing to do. Very interesting, when Christ was ascending, another thing he said, he said, you will be witnesses for me, both here in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and throughout all the ends of the earth. So he specified to the Jewish people, to the land, and then also to everything and everybody throughout the earth. That word witness, very interesting, another word when we dig into it. Two different meanings. One is, it's, yes, it's judicial. It's a judicial evidence of something. So we're witnesses that Christ is real. Evidence that Christ is real. That's you and me. That's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be vivid witnesses that Christ is real. People are supposed to see Christ in us. Hear Christ from our mouths. We're supposed to be that kind of a display. Now, no one person can go out throughout the world. No matter what, some of the people dressed in silver-lined suits with glitzy diamonds and $500 ties are telling you that they need a $60 million plane so they could go all over the earth. It was never intended for that. Christ didn't come into Jerusalem on a Rolls Royce. He didn't even have the best camel. He just had a low-life donkey. <laughs> but we were the witnesses. We're Christ to the world. We're the ones that are supposed to go out wherever we are. And if we do what we're supposed to do, we'll cover everything in the world and everybody and every place. We don't need to run around the world. If God calls us somewhere, we go and we come back. It's a mission. We do what he tells us to do. But it doesn't rest upon me or you alone to evangelize the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we're the body of Christ. If we look like him and if we talk like him and if we act like him. How about Pentecost? Hmm? Interesting thing. When it was time and Jesus went up, it says that they went to gather for the upper room, but the first thing they did was have a church meeting. <laughs> the board had to chip in. And Peter, who... Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Well, he wanted to build it like a chairman of the board. He looked around, there were 12, and now there were 11. Judas was gone, and certainly Jesus had called 12. But even though Jesus had been with them 40 days, giving them instructions, he never gave them an instruction to replace number 12, or let alone to cast lots for it. Gamble for number 12? So the first order of business of the church was dysfunctional. Ah. Peter didn't quite get it yet. Pentecost hadn't come, but boy did he change once Pentecost came and the Holy Ghost got a hold of him. He went from wanting to have a church meeting and naming Matthias as number 12, who we never hear about again, no gospel, no nothing. Not the Matthew we're talking about. Nothing. 
when God had one called Paul that was going to fill those shoes. Upon whom almost all of the New Testament rides. So there was church business. Churches are always about busyness. My friend Mark Gonzalez put it very well. For those of you who listened to the call Wednesday night and that, he went through the five points that most churches are trying to do and what has become the staple of churches. One is, what's your square footage? How big is it? What's your attendance? You know, you try to get a loan from the bank for a church, first thing they want to know, what's your attendance? Then the next thing they want to know is, what's your ties? What's your building like? How many people? How much is the giving? And then the church people want to know, what are your programs? Programs. Well, we're going to choose somebody by gambling, and we're going to put them in charge. Oh, that's a good program. And then after that is, we need a bigger parking lot so more people can come. Parking lots, quantity, money, You'd heard it. But that's not how we're supposed to come out of this place the next. We're supposed to come out with a passion. We're supposed to come out desiring with all we have for an experience of Jesus Christ. We're supposed to come out and say, no more. Get rid of the glitzy rings and the silk suits. Your days are numbered. Start feeding the sheep instead of yourself. Tough word. I doubt I'm going to be elected to any kind of denominational. (laughs) But my word hasn't changed, has it, honey? I've been given the same word since 1980 before I knew her. I didn't even know what I was saying. But that's the message. And that's the word. Look at this. Luke. You know, Luke, Luke got details right. He's a detail guy. And so you have to really dig down and say, why did Luke say something? Why did he say this? Why did he say that? Well, in, 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 in verse 12 of chapter 1, it says that after Christ went up in the clouds... It says that they took a hike. They went into Jerusalem. And he called it a Sabbath day journey. And those of us who understand that geography know it's from the Mount of Olives, or the Mount of Olivet, as it would say in your scriptures, to Jerusalem. Now, a Sabbath day journey comes all the way from Judaic law. Starts in Exodus and Deuteronomy, and what it intended was that you're not supposed to work on that day, but the real thing was you weren't supposed to get too far away from the place of worship. Because if people get too far away from the place of worship, guess what happens? They don't worship. That's why we have church. That's why you're watching online. That's why some of you are here, and thank you. That's why I'm here. We worship. We come together. There's a unity that comes and a bond that comes in the power. There's an agreement that comes, and God started it way back then, and he said, don't journey too far away, so he had to give them a law because they didn't have enough self-discipline to stay home by themselves on that day off. And so it's called a Sabbath day journey. Well, a Sabbath day journey is very interesting. It's defined both in Acts 1.12 and also in Exodus as 2,000 cubits. Also, if you were to do it as the Egyptians did, it's 1,000 double steps. Here's a step. Here's a double step. One, two, three. That's how far you were supposed to go. 2,000 of those. That's it. And if you went so far that you couldn't get back, then you were supposed to establish, and this is what came out of man's law, trying to justify God's law, you were supposed to establish some food in a place. And then that place, if you put it underneath a tree, that became your new shelter, so you could worship there. 
So, you know what? I got stuck on the back nine a little too long. I can't get out. I'm going to take out my picnic basket. I'm going to have church right here under this tree on the Sabbath. The Sabbath day journey. And then that wasn't enough. They changed it some more. And they figured out how to deliberately scheme it. That's why the prophets that God kept saying, you just keep breaking all my rules, all my laws. You make up my laws as if you're God by themselves. And one of those schemes was to just place a stone by a tree and say, well, that was good enough for the patriarchs. That's good enough for me and God. But the problem was God didn't mark that tree. Man did. It wasn't a memorial to God. I know this sounds ridiculously simple-minded, But how about if we compare this to frustrating grace? How about if we compare it to just getting outside the lines, going farther than 2,000 cubits? And we just say, it's okay. After all, I'm covered in grace. And it's more than enough grace. I'll just do the same thing tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And pretty soon it becomes a pattern. And it becomes an idol in our lives. Christ solved it when he made us free from the law, but this is what he replaced it with. Galatians 2, verse 20. And this is where we take the mask off. And we really look in the mirror and we say, am I the face of Christ? I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We celebrate Christ crucified. Do we celebrate us crucified with Christ? I, for one, I'm working on it. I know y'all are much farther along than me. I'm working on it. And the one message I'm getting out of this clear from that voice I'm hearing is Jesus is coming, son, work on it faster and stronger. Another scripture, Luke 14, verse 33. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all things that he has cannot be my disciples. You got to get rid of it all. Now, be careful. I shared with some of you before, I read that for the first time. I had been saved about 72 hours. I didn't understand anything, and I emptied out my house, my clothes, my car. I gave everything away, and I was destitute. And I think God met me in that because he probably chuckled up in the heavenlies and said, well, okay. I'm not sure that's the way I was supposed to do it or what I was supposed to do it for. All I can tell you is I had some nice threads. I mean, I came out of the world. I was making money. I had a Mercedes. Boy, you should have seen when I gave that away. And I had nice clothes, lots of leathers and stuff. And I brought that to the Salvation Army. I guarantee you most of that never made it inside the door when them brothers were taking that out of my car. That stuff was being worn. I saw people wearing it later on the north side of Youngstown. I said, ooh, yeah. Now, I understand But what are we willing to give is what Christ is saying. And part of that is, we like to say it's really not mine, it's his. But is it? Is it really his? Or is it mine? And anything that is in our heart. Ezekiel cried out the word of the Lord and he said, my people have made idols in their hearts. Anything that's in our heart that we have more passion for than God becomes an idol in our life. And so we have to put it in proper perspective. And here's the way I balance it in my mind. Lazarus was a dear friend of Jesus, wasn't he? He was so much that when he died, he wept. And even though he knew he was going to raise him up for the glory of the Father, he wept because it was his friend and he had allowed his friend to die when he could have stopped him, but he had to follow the will of the Father. And this was what brought such heat upon him because Lazarus was well known and he was wealthy. He had things. 
And he was using that wealth. When Jesus would come, he would stay with him in Bethany. And the last place he stayed in Bethany on his way into the triumphal march was at Lazarus's place. He had a good meal. He probably got his clothes pressed, you know, his silk tie and his <laughs> shoes shined. Lazarus spoiled him. The family of Lazarus would give him comfort in a place where Jesus was allowed to let his hair down a little bit and just relax. So it wasn't that Jesus was preaching to Lazarus to give it all away. What he was saying to Lazarus was, my friend, use it all for God. And we find out later that Lazarus did a lot for the kingdom. And so the same thing for us. I'm not telling you to go empty your closets and rid your homes and sign over your titles and have nothing. No, because then you just become the poor that you're trying to help. And Jesus said, we have the poor always. God gives us the ability for provision, but is it his? Or is it mine? Whose is it? What's the face of Christianity? How are we branding it? for ourselves. Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die again. And we could go on and on. Comfort Christianity says this, in the church or in the body of Christ, am I a referee or am I a player? Are we looking for the faults and the problems? Are we upset when it's not done my way? Are we willing to accept the diversity of the body of Christ and embrace it and say, this is good? You know what I've been learning? And I had to work on it. And I know I'm the only one. I had to work on the fact that just because people don't agree with me doesn't mean they're wrong. <laughs> you quit laughing. It just might mean that maybe I got to give in a little bit here. Maybe I got to stop and take a pause. Maybe, maybe my wife's right. Uh-oh. <laughs> maybe I'm not called to be a referee in church. Maybe the ministry's more than about finding faults in all the things that I don't like. How about what's your desire for God? Has it become stagnant? Have you delayed it? Have you put it off a little bit? Have we said, ah, for another time? I've heard everything from I'm too young to I'm too old. I dusted off a book late last night out of my library. I got lots of books. And it was from my beloved brother, Miles Monroe. And I had signed it for me. And it was one about vision, the kingdom and the vision. And I cracking the book, going through it. And I saw in there a little story he wrote. And the story was about this great big Buddha that was in a temple and the people in the town had built a new temple, and they were moving all the things of the old temple into the new temple. And the last thing they were moving was this Buddha, and they lifted it up with a crane. And it was valued at that time around $50,000. And as they began to move it and put it back down where it belonged, pieces of it began to fall off because it was made out of clay, and they were so upset. And they thought they were destroying the Buddha which wouldn't have upset me too much. But nevertheless, to them it was valuable. And as the clay was breaking down, a glimmer began to come through, and it began to shake off, and pretty soon they began to take pieces off because more of it had fallen off than was underneath, and what they found was a pure gold Buddha underneath, valued millions of dollars. 
And he goes on and he says, a scripture we all know, without vision, the people will perish. Well, that periso, that word, is, is like a, a woman whose hair is well done, and then in the, in the, in the wind, in the breeze, it begins to blow, and the, the hair is blowing all over the place. And so without a vision, people are blown all over the place. They really don't know where to go. And this analogy, for any of us who've competed in anything, and, and you get a a moment to stop and to reset yourself and to regroup and to get ready to go back, whether it's a halftime or something, a timeout, there's a little coaching, there's something that's done, you get yourself prepared and sometimes the team comes out and wins and comes back from insurmountable odds because it was a halftime. You know what I think? I think the whole world was put in a halftime. I think that it's up for the people to say how we're going to come back out. Are we going to come back out and count what we lost, or are we going to come back out and see what we're going to have? What is our vision? You see, if your vision is only what you see, that's just physical vision. What is your spiritual vision? What do you see? Real vision is seeing what you're going to have and what you're supposed to have and what you're going to do and then believe it as you already do. That's called faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of which is not seen. What do you see? I remember with all of my children when we would go somewhere and there'd be a crowd and we weren't the first ones in and they were so small they couldn't see anything. I'd pick one up and put them on my shoulder and then all of a sudden, Daddy, Daddy, I can see. Because now they were above all of the obstructions that were in front of them. Our challenge now is to get above the obstructions that are in front of us and to hear the voice of God and to see what we're supposed to see. Now, we have the Magna scene. The Magna scene is Jesus is coming. The other Magna scene is this tribulation isn't the last one. And I'm sorry to tell you, there'll be worse things coming upon the earth. And I want to encourage you, this is not the time to teach and preach the rapture to people. That foolishness needs to stop. This is not the time to tell people... You're getting ready to go away because what are you telling them? Just live like you're living. I mean, if you're telling me that and I'm believing it, I'm going to go get in debt as much as I can. I'm going to buy everything I can because I'm not going to pay for any of it anyway. I'm not going to begin to build ministry anymore or do the things God called me because it doesn't matter. I'm just going to go. But yet we hear that foolishness right now. Oh. We're months away from the rapture. Well, this time next year, I'll have a conversation with you and you tell me about it. And the next year, too. Mm-hmm. Time to hunker down. But we need vision. There's another thing. Who do we associate with? Because whom you associate with, it's called the law of association. That's what you begin to become and what you believe. Right? Anybody who has a weakness, an addiction, or a problem knows the last thing you do is go to a heroin den or a bar. Right? I'm staying out of there. But I'm strong, are you? And it's the same thing with association with people. That's why we have church. That's why we have fellowship. Because like kind, find like kind. We grow with each other. We build with each other. Associate with people that have a vision that you can relate to and that also honors you. The time for people's vision to be so molded into a man or a woman's vision without any room for themselves is over with. People need to be able to expand with their vision and we need to help each other with it and to lend each other to it and to tolerate mistakes. The worst thing we can do is do nothing. That's a bad vision. That's called lack of vision. I think that's a Chinese word, lucky vision. We, 
And so association, God separated us so that we could appreciate what it means to be able to be associated with each other. I don't know about you, but the worst whole thing about being sheltered in is being sheltered in. And people who don't know God or other things, and I'm not saying, I'm not picking on the people that are protesting all over the country. I almost wanted to go join them, especially the ones who were armed in the state courthouse in Michigan. I thought that was pretty cool. They didn't use their guns, but they had them because they could have them. They were making a statement. I have a right. My wife's waving. Hi, honey. Everybody wave to my wife. Thank you. Hi, honey. And so vision, vision is so important right now. And as we had journeyed to the place of next, we said at that place, God would give provision, but he also gives vision. And how many times have we heard the the statement, and it's a good one, God will give provision for the vision. Maybe we're not supposed to go back and just do the same things we were doing at the place of next. Maybe we're supposed to let the rubber hit the road and not be satisfied with the retread, but say, I want the real deal. I want the spiritual Michelin. I want the most expensive tire. I'm going to put that tire. I'm going to hit the pedal. We're going to go 140 miles an hour like a Maserati. We're going to see what this high-speed vehicle will do. You do that with retreads, I guarantee you're going to end up in a ditch. We're on a journey. And we got to the place of next, and the place of next doesn't mean we're supposed to go out again and and not come back like a marauding troop of tribal raiders. That's not what we're doing. We've come to a place of next where we're then supposed to not only assess who we are and what we're doing, what the times are, but we're supposed to call upon the provisions for the vision that God has given us. And I'll tell you, this, this church, this ministry, our people, who we are here and overseas in the different countries, not that many, but where we are, we are. And those who have been calling in and wanting part of this, and I'm so thrilled, and, and we are called to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. That's the place of next for us. That's where we are at. And to do that, we need to die to self more, and I'm the first one to work on it. And I need to identify those idols in my heart and not just fluff them off and say, the grace of God covers it. When does the grace of God stop covering it? This is the test that God puts me to all the time. To whom much is given, much is required. I know too much. I know too much. I preach too much. I know much is required of me, but now what shoes will you wear? I can't wear your shoes, you can't wear mine. But I can walk with you. I can walk with you. I want to walk with you. And I want you to walk with me. Where's the next place the next? I don't think there's too many more between the coming of the Lord. I believe there's at least two more. That's why I'm telling you two years, we'll have a conversation about why you didn't rapture up. Same one we should have had seven years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years. I got saved. First thing I heard about was the rapture. Yeah. First thing I heard about, Jimmy Swaggart and the rapture. I was like, what? It didn't happen. Prophets have come and gone, said it was going to happen. They put years on it. Didn't happen. People were still doing it. Hey! Jesus is coming. Gross darkness is covering the earth. But God's people who know him will do great exploits. And you know what? If something happens, it happens. But don't prepare for something to happen that may not happen. Prepare for what's real. Jesus is coming. And we're called to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. Amen? If I could ask the worship team to come back up, please. I don't know who put the heat on, but you're doing a great job of sweating me up here. (laughs) Bless the Lord. Ah, put the air on. Bless God. We got air conditioning in this church. Woo! Beloved, Christianity is in a crisis in America. Amen? The church is not well. The church wasn't well. 
Christianity all over the earth isn't well. God is giving us a chance to transform and come back out new. But are we going to tolerate the same things that we were tolerating before? Are we going to accommodate them? Are we going to stay quiet because we don't want to be considered extreme? You understand that talking like me is pretty extreme. And something good happens when you become extreme and you talk out. You get so many bullets fired at you pretty soon, it doesn't matter anymore. You're either riddled with bullets or you're bulletproof. It's one or the other. You don't care anymore because you're really not trying to protect anything else. You just keep dying out. And there's, I, can, I can invite you to this. There's something good about dying out. It's liberty. You don't carry the weight of people's approval anymore. You don't carry the weight of saying, I need to make this happen, because I can't make anything happen. I mess it up. We're coming out. We're at the place of next. God said, build up the inner man. Strengthen that inner man. And God says to call upon the provisions. You say, Pastor, I don't know what they are. Ask him to show you what the provisions are for you, not just your financial provisions. That too. Declare and agree with God for the favor of the Lord upon your lives because that's his promise to you. But understand it is a quid pro quo with God. If you want the favor of God, you need to favor God. David fell and he fell and we sang a song and, and Sonny did it so well. We've all stumbled. We've all lost. We've all come upon and he and Leanne were bellowing it and I was saying in my, this is my ballad that they were singing. And so we understand that we're going to fall. We're not going to quite make the step. But what do we do with that when it happens? What do we say? How do we become the face of Christ a little better and a little more? I am praying that the hot church, the on fire church becomes totally intolerant of all of the flash in the ministry. That's my prayer. Turn our backs to it and walk away. You don't need to curse them, but you don't walk with them because you'll become just like them. I believe we need to tell every media agency and everything we have, we're not going to deal with that anymore. We don't want to see that. We want reality. We want the simplicity of Christ. We're extreme. We're extreme. When you're extreme, they call you intolerant. When you're extreme, especially in this society, they say that, you know, you want to deprive people of their rights. The irony of that extremism is, is that people who want to impose rights upon you, which we know are immoral and abject to our faith in themselves, have no tolerance for the extreme Christians. And so the irony of that is, which extremity are you going to walk? The one that's tolerant of a liberated society that God says he's had enough with, or the one that's intolerant and says, I'm going to be extreme in Christ. And that's why I chose that word. My wife said, I don't know about that word. I said, that's the one God gave me. He said he wants Christians to become extreme in him. The face of Jesus, was Jesus, Jesus extreme? Was John the Baptist extreme? You know the other word for witness? And this is what I'm closing with as we take our offering. I told you it was judicial evidence of Christ. The other word is martyr. Martyr. And you will be martyrs for me throughout the world. Two ways. Dying to self and dying. And there's a special voice that's under the throne room of God. When will you, Lord, revenge our blood? The voice of the martyrs. When? And he hears it all the time. That's their function. That's their ministry. That's their prayer. 
when will you avenge our blood? Die to self and die if we must. How many of us have actually really thought that the time could come where we're going to have to make some changes that will cause us punishment? I don't know what to make about all these chips that they want to put in us, but I don't know. Hmm. Hmm. You think this is just a little nudge that way with what we're going through? Being able to track us and tell where we are at every moment on our phones? Oh, Frank, you're too close to Jeff. Let me call. Who are they going to call, Jeff? The Ghostbusters. They're going to call somebody. Go bust Frank. He's too close to Sonny. And, and Sonny had tetanus last week. Leanne's got a cold. And that Frank, too radical. Look who's close to him. Hey! Don't touch anything. I got a pizza the other night. I overpaid the guy. And I was getting ready to leave. He says, your wife already paid me. I said, well, then give me back my money. He said, I already put it in the bleach. I said, the bleach? He goes, yeah, we bleach our money. I said, really? He goes, yeah. I said, well, then take some out of your pocket that already came out of the bleach. I'm okay with it. I thought, then I told him, that's a good game. I'm going to keep that one, the bleach. Your money's in the bleach. I can't give it back to you. It's in the bleach. I said, brother, I come from the hood. I know what that means. You give me back my money. It's in the bleach. That's the times we're headed to. Do you see what we're getting tuned up for? What shall we choose? So I sort of like the fact that all these people started storming the streets, arguing for rights. They're not sure why or what or what, all of them, but I just hope they keep that same zeal as this stuff starts to come upon us and we grow with them and say, no, no, no.